So, uh, hey Mike. Hey Con. Didn't we used to do a podcast? I don't know. I don't remember that. I'll have to check the internet. Um, hmm. So, what you been up to since April? <laughs> uh, what have I been up to? Okay, so, let's recap. Yeah. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Yeah. We, um... We don't even have a good excuse. We've just been busy. Yeah. But That's not, a pretty good excuse. Yeah, but it hasn't been, like, busy doing this world-changing thing. It's just generally busy, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, we had WWDC. So you were out here in San Francisco. Yep. Learning about Macintoshes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know they have those on computers now? Oh, really? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else has happened since then? I, I mean, we've basically just been recovering from NAB for two months. Yeah. Well, we've done them since NAB, haven't we? Uh, maybe one or two, but it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also the whole industry kind of quiets down after NAB while everyone else recovers as well. So... so- uh, we got, we've been keeping notes since then, the whole time, about what we should talk about. Yeah, well, there was so always... It's a little dated. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, filter the relevant bits. Um, I, well, let's start by talking about um, something fairly recent, which is um, from WWDC, some of the public news, the, uh, the Retina MacBook. Um, this is, I think, a pretty important new product for video and for software developers and a lot of the other types of folks we we interact with or are what do you think you've got one it's nice it's really nice so we they are so they announced it at wwdc shipping the same day at least that's what the slide said um so we immediately went over to the apple store which is like a block and a half from Moscone, where WWC was being held, and it's the flagship store. So, if anyone were to be getting a number of them in, you would think it would be them, given that A, it's the flagship store, and B, they knew there were 5,000 Mac programmers, most of whom had to now support this new monitor, all within a two block radius. Um, and they didn't have any. Yeah. And so we went back the next day, and they didn't have any. We went back the day after that, and they didn't have any. But there were rumors, and there were people who were getting them. Like, they were getting, like, three in yep. a day. In a day and sell them immediately. So then finally, we... Uh, our business... Uh, you know, they've got business relations guys at all the Apple stores now. Um, our contact there was able to, you know, someone else ordered two and canceled one of them. And so we nabbed it. He called up and said, do you want it? And I said, I will be there in 20 minutes. So we have one now. Um, they're nice. They're fast. They're really fast machines. And you're they're nice looking machines. And so your your primary laptop, your your personal laptop is an eleven inch MacBook Air, right? Um, Continue to be, yeah. yeah that thing I, is, it's amazing. So I've got, I was a seventeen inch MacBook Pro guy for years. Um, 
every single laptop I have owned was, I mean, once they made them that big. So the the day the 17 inches came out, I bought one, and that was my machine until this 11 inch Air. And uh, yeah, even going back to the 15 inch, the the new thin light 15 inch. God, it's a machine. Well, that was yeah, that was my question. Is uh, you know. So the 11 is two and a bit pounds. The new 15 is four and a bit pounds. Does it feel just massively heavier? Yeah. Definitely. I'll be going from, I've got one on order. We've got one on order for me. Um, I've got a 15 inch right now that must be five and a bit pounds, I guess. And when I felt the the new one, it felt very light and svelte and everything. Um, so I'm very excited about that, but that's my my only computer now. Your your primary computer is a Mac Pro, right? Um, so your computer is a Mac Pro. Though Air had been like a a, um, a coffee shop slash airplane seat machine, um, you know, so much so that like I had to install Skype before this call because I've never used Skype on this machine. But that said, you know. I'm doing Skype on this right now because it is now my home computer as well. So it's the computer that goes back and forth to the brand new office. And then the Mac Pro is the office computer now. And so now that you're doing this sort of commute, are you starting to wish you had just one computer again? Or do you, uh, is the two computer model working for you? No, I mean, I've never liked having two computers. Never, ever. Uh, it's a pain. But, you know, what am I going to do? So, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we should explain a little bit. Uh, there's a new Divergent Media global headquarters. <laughs> it is no longer the living room of my apartment. Now have an office in San Francisco that you can stop by and say hello if you would like. Just email before. Yeah, I used to do that at your old office. Yeah, it's a little different. You, you don't even sleep. crash on the couch. Yeah. There's no shower in this one. Actually, Actually there, there is, yeah. yeah. But there's no there's no hide a bed. How about that? <laughs> okay. Um so yeah, so we everything all the equipment is pretty much moved to the office, all of the video equipment and the test gear and the all the tower machines. Um, and so now the only thing I have at home is a Thunderbolt 27-inch monitor and a keyboard. And then the air goes back and forth every day. And, you know, it's working so far. I mean, I haven't, you know, it, it had been years since I had tried to do two machines. You know, the last time I tried to do two machines is when I bought, uh, um, you know, a PowerPC tower and uh the, the first-gen Blackmagic card to set up a, a color correction suite at home. Um, with the exception of that, I've always been a laptop guy. And so, and then when I got the Mac Pro to do development work, that just sort of, by default, became the only machine I used, and the 17-inch sort of went away. Um, but, you know, a lot's changed since then, even since, you know, two years ago. Pretty much everything I own is in Dropbox now. Um, most of what you and I, you know, there was a time earlier in my life where, like, I could keep files on my desktop. 
but now nearly everything I do needs to be shared with you. So it either goes in Dropbox or in Google Docs. And so all that leaves is source code, which is all in GitHub. And, you know, every now and then I find myself needing to reinstall apps on one machine or the other, but that seems to be, you know, that's only going to be a problem for another year or two before everything's in the App Store. Here's hoping. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, was when I was commuting to work, had a, a work for most of that period, had a, a Mac Pro at work and a Mac Pro at home and a laptop that went back and forth every day, um, which, you, you know, even with things like Mobile Me Sync and Dropbox and other things just got to be, you know, pretty obnoxious. And, and the result was, I, I think I used my laptop less than I might have otherwise used it just because it, it was the one, it, you know, because the, the Mac Pros were on all the time. So they were at least always sort of in sync with each other, but the laptop wouldn't be and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't until I started working full time for Divergent that I went down to just the one machine. Um, and it's it's been very nice. And I certainly, it's just, you know, it's interesting because there's this sort of uh, ping pong back and forth that it seems like most developers in the Mac community do. Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember if you listen to Mark Arment's show, Build and Analyze, but, uh, you know, he's in the process of moving back from a single laptop life to a Mac Pro plus MacBook Air life, um, you know, have, having previously been there. And, it's, and I've talked to a lot of other developers who have sort of gone to one extreme and then back the other direction. Um, yeah, I don't... But I don't think there's ever a time where it's enjoyable to have more than one machine. Um, the problem is that there was a short period of time in there where there, there was one machine that could do everything you needed, and that was the, you know, the last couple years of, well, basically the the MacBook Pro line. Um, you know, the there was a number of years there where you could get a machine that was almost as fast as a tower, at least as, you know, everything you needed for most people. Then you could drive an external monitor. Um, and, you know, I think you're going to find that the 15-inch is going to be, you know, a huge upgrade to what you already have, the new one, and you're not going to need a tower still. It's only when you go to one of these, like, you know, the MacBook Air is a little bit crippled. It's a great machine. It's, But you're definitely making a trade-off for the, you know, the lightness. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm excited. The screen is, you know, in the same way that with the iPad 3, the screen is not something that, like, every day you're sort of saying, oh, my God, the screen's amazing. It just sort of makes the, the experience generally more pleasant. And so I feel like that's the same with the the Retina display on the new MacBook Pro is that it just sort of makes the experience more pleasant, but after, you know, it's not like you're going to sit down at the computer every day and appreciate it. But I think what I will appreciate on an ongoing basis is that it's slightly thinner and slightly lighter and substantially faster, um, and also just having having Thunderbolt um, will be mm -hmm. very nice as well, obviously. So, cool. I will be excited to uh, get a hold of that when it ships someday. Yeah. And uh yeah. What do you think? I mean, you know, the this this idea of retina desktops, you know, you've been using computers since 
CRTs when we were worried about dot pitch and things like that. Uh, you know, is the retina on a normal computing device transformative? Um, I don't know. I mean, it looks a lot nicer. I mean, we've so there's a lot of things that's been keeping us busy. Uh, one of them has been trying to get all of our apps quickly moved over to Retina support. And, you know, like, especially um, Scopebox, it's really nice looking. I mean, there, there are things that you don't really think about. Like, okay, so I'm, in Scopebox, we basically generate these textures. So, the, you, you know, anyone who's used the app, you can basically think of it as one giant OpenGL video game, with the exception of the sidebar. You know, so that's traditional Mac controls. Everything else we're drawing in video game land, OpenGL. And what that means is we've got a lot of control over how that happens on the um, on the graphics card with the Retina. So with with everything else that you do in um, in Retina, so if we were drawing using standard system graphics calls through quartz, we would basically get lines that were twice as wide. And so everything we did, whenever we drew a dot, the dot would be twice as big, and it would you know would have like nicer. And if it had corn, if it was a circle dot it would have nicer edges on it. But if it was a square dot, it would just be twice as big, but at double the density. So same size, but you know, made up of littler pixels. But because we're doing everything you know, by generating these textures on the CPU and uploading them to the GPU, what it means is we actually get twice as much detail out of everything we do. So if you think about it, like. One, you know, we can show 100% pixel for pixel um, video image in half the screen real estate now. But also we can do things like, so what we used to do is we generate these textures at the full, so like the waveform. If you're in 8-bit video, there are 256 vertical steps from, you know, negative 7.5 IRE up to, you know, roughly 116 or so IRE. And what we're able to do now is, and so that was always, you know, that would almost always fit on screen. If you splatted one of those textures to screen, you'd see every single vertical line in that texture. But when we went to supporting 10-bit natively in, uh, in 3.0, well, we're now splatting textures that are four times as tall. And what that would do is it meant that unless you were showing your waveform basically full screen, we would have to downsample the vertical resolution. And so if you were looking at something like color bars, which are basically just a series of horizontal lines, that line might fall on, you know, so that line is going to be interpolated. And so that line's only one pixel tall, and we're now squishing the texture. So we may, you know, 
we had to write a lot of shader math just to make sure that that line would even show up because what could happen is we could, you know, in the down resing of the texture on the GPU, we could actually physically, you know, basically, you know, bicubic filter it right out. Mm-hmm. And so now when you think about it, you get twice as much vertical resolution and all those things. So all your dots are, you know, far more likely to show up. And it means we do have, we can do a lot less of this filtering on each of those things. So that's why, you know, it's not a trivial change for us to support this, which is why we were able to finagle a machine out of Apple pretty quickly, because we've actually got to rewrite a lot of code. And it's also why, you know, we've shipped an update to ClipRap already, but Scopebox is taking a lot longer because we're physically rewriting shaders to do these these texture resizes and such. But it's, you know, it looks really nice. <laughs> So the the flip side of this though is that you know we're now operating on four times as much four times as many pixels with a GPU that is you know maybe not four times as fast it's it's faster than the GPUs in the old MacBook Pros but I don't think anyone's making the claim that it's four times as fast so are you seeing that as you're starting to use this that um, you know this GPU is right at the edge of what it's capable of it's definitely um yeah, you can't just double everything and expect good performance. That's one of the issues. Um, but that said, I mean, the resolution is not drastically more than like a 27-inch cinema display. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's definitely capable of handling that many fragments. Um, it just means you have to be, you know, there's a reason why we can't just keep our our same resizing code that we have now in these shaders because it means that for double for four times as many pixels we're still doing you know the way that we're able to get smooth resizing where we don't blow away these tiny pieces of detail is we actually super sample all the pixels around it when we're in a, in a down res scenario we actually you know keep track of that like you're getting smaller Still there? Yeah. My screen went to sleep. Things I've not set up on this one. Um, and we read, you know, like 16 pixels around the pixel that we're doing. And if you try to do that four times as many times, yeah, then it starts to hurt the fact that you've got only 60% more GPU power. So, you know, we just need to take that into account. We're reading four times as many pixels, so we don't need to do. You know, we can never get into a situation where things are that small, you know, because we have, all of our math is based on the fact that we have a minimum size that the the palettes can be shrunk to, you know, like 200 by 200 pixels or something like that on screen. And so that is now, you know, now we have an effective minimum size of 400 by 400 as far as that texture is concerned. And so we don't have to do as much super sampling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just anyone anyone who's really, I think Apple did the right thing, which was everyone who wasn't concerned with these sort of issues in the past still doesn't have to be concerned with them. Like, if you weren't the kind of person who was trying to eke performance out of your GPU in your app as a developer, then you still don't have to. Like, you're just going to get bigger things drawn to screen. And it'll look a little bit nicer, but you're not going to get any sort of earth-shattering difference in quality. Um, 
Whereas people who, you know, have been going in and mucking with the GPU, you know, at a, like an OpenGL level, they, you know, they're stuck making decisions about how, you know, what their performance trade-offs are going to be. But they've always been making those things. I mean, anyone who shipped to ships, you know, to on more than one generation of Mac has to make tons of these trade-offs already. Sure. You know, it, it's Mac GPUs have always been moving. They to pick fights with alternating graphics <laughs> towards every generation. And so, um, the the gist of that would be then that there may be some, you know, real world slowdowns for certain apps on the new machine, but this is a temporary solution that Moore's law fixes and. Apple had to make the jump at some point, and for most apps and most users, the benefits far outweigh the the potential negatives. Yeah, and I mean, I think especially you know, so for most things, it's not there's no real disadvantage for most applications. Only if you're doing low level OpenGL stuff, and even then, you have to opt into it. You know, so it's automatically on for everyone. Like if you try, if you try. Scope box right now on a, um, a Retina Mac, the shipping version, it won't. It will just run pixel doubled inside that actual inside the OpenGL regions. They just pixel double it by default, and that's because you know they realize that there one there are lots of ways to do it wrong, um, and two there are lots of these performance trade offs people are going to need to make, and so. You know, the hope is that anyone who goes through the trouble of turning it on is going to at least test it. Sure, sure. And, you know, the other advantage, I think, I see this as an advantage. Um, there were a lot of rumors leading up to WWDC that they were going to do this sort of massive um, retina everything. And I think that actually doing it on just one machine and having one target, you know, ignoring whatever other economic and supply chain factors there are, makes it easier because we don't have to sort of worry that every new Mac sold is going to be running Retina and we have to, you know, start testing on this whole new fleet of machines right away and all this stuff. It's, it's you know, the people the people buying these right now... The uh, single... Day. Sorry, I, you dropped out there. So you know, we have to, you know, we have to solve all these problems, but we have to solve them with only a single target right now. Right. And it also helps that supply is constrained at the moment. So, you know, the total... The Venn diagrams of people who have Mac, Retina MacBook Pros and people who use Scopebox and the, the overlap region at this moment is relatively small. Um, and it, it's just pixel double, right. which right, absolutely, know, should be for the short term. I mean, anything that uses lots of OpenGL, you know, like your video games aren't going to be updated for a while, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you know, we just hope that. They roll this across the rest of their product line. This machine is going to represent the baseline for specs. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I yep. mean, oh, so the Mac came out, and it's got you know, it actually doesn't have a faster GPU, but it does have more. You know, that's where we get into issues. But well, you know, we'll see. Yeah, that that will definitely be interesting. There's a lot of you know. Of course, no one knows, but um, there are a lot of theories about 
when some of the other products can start to go retina, whether it's a screen supply issue or a, you know, waiting for Intel to come up to speed with the integrated GPU type situation. There's also battery life issues because the retina screens draw more power. Um, with the MacBook Pro, it was easy because you toss the spinning, um, well, the, the spinning hard disk and the optical drive and you get a lot more space inside and can pack some batteries in and everything. With, with a product like the Air that already has this sort of modern form factor, uh, there are less options for increasing battery density. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how they navigate all of that. Um, on the desktop side, it's also interesting because the uh, current version of Thunderbolt doesn't really have the bandwidth to support a Retina 27-inch style LCD. Um, and so the, it may be a while before we see anything like that on the desktop. Yeah. Um, obviously on the iMac they have some options since they control how that LCD panel is fed but uh, you know right. anyways mm, that'd be nice yeah that'd be, I mean that would be reason enough to kill off the Mac Pro line so that's the other big announcement on a WBC the Mac Pro's not dead yeah they're brand new ones yeah updated yeah they did not do much though that's the that's what got everyone gnawing and rending garments and gnashing teeth. Yeah, to to the extent that uh, Tim Cook and a cadre of uh, unnamed sources uh, got the word out that the Mac Pro is still very much alive. Well, that a computing platform for professionals is still very much alive. Um, I don't think any of the leaked things actually specifically said the Mac Pro, but um, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Okay, I'm going to stop playing with this USB key. I keep dropping it. It's metal. It, I got it in the mail today from uh, Fiat. It's very, very nice. But it's, uh, Anyways, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be um, interesting to see what that product looks like, but it's not going to be till next year at the earliest that we see whatever it is. Um, so. What do you think is constraining them on that? Um, I, you know, I've heard so many different things. It's hard to know whether there's any truth in any of it. Um, there's certainly some reason to think that because the Intel chipsets for the current generation Xeons, um, the E5s, the, those chipsets don't do Thunderbolt or USB 3 directly. And so Apple would have to support those via separate controllers, um, and do a lot more of the engineering work themselves. Whereas with all the other products, they like to have everything integrated into the, uh, the single, you know, Northbridge or whatever. Um, right. And Possible? so can what? There, yeah, I mean, you can, you, they can glom on their own Thunderbolt controller and Intel does sell those chips, um, but it would require. This isn't doing that right now or someone. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, so that would be an option, but, you know, they may not want to go down that route. Um, they may also, you know, sort of. Care about professionals at all. Um, I think we're getting this thing where every time you, we're both talking, you get cut off. Um, go into your preferences in Skype and go to the audio tab and uncheck the box that says automatically adjust microphone settings. Okay, how about that? All right. Not okay. automatically adjusting my microphone settings okay. anymore. Yeah, I think we're I think we're better now. Talk over you. Hello, 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 hello. There we go. Okay. And that is how Divergent what? Media debugs. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's that. There's um, you know, Apple's obviously got a lot of balls in the air. This is obviously not a high priority, never has been. Um, they may also be doing something more dramatic. I you know have some inkling that they're re-examining their historic opposition to higher end or enterprise level virtualization. Um, and so they may be looking at options in that camp. They may be still, you know, at one point, I, I do believe that they seriously considered um, working with a, an outside vendor to do hardware for professionals. So they may still be looking at that. I don't know. Ugh. Who could do it though? I mean, HP. Yeah, but I mean, but I mean, HP doesn't make good computers. They made a computer just for Red. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess. I mean, they've never been crazy great machines, but we're Mac people. Like, yeah. What's once you give us a plastic piece of shit, why why even stick around? Yeah, well, it, it's just it's going to be interesting. But obviously, the the people who were upset about the the Mac Pro are still upset. Um, and HP can make a brushed aluminum faceplate that like they glue and they like double sided tape on the front. That would solve all the problems. So here's a here's a more broad question. Um, because, you know, in the sane and calm and collected world of the internet, um, the, the new Mac pro caused a lot of people to, you know, disown Apple and, and declare their move to the PC. Um, you know, where are we in 2012? Is, is there, you know, what, what keeps you on the, what, what keeps a person on the Mac platform is making that switch easier than it was a few years ago. Is it harder? Is there, you know, I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I have zero desire to learn everything over again. And I want, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing, you know, there's no real reason why I couldn't switch, I don't think. But... I mean, okay, so like if I get into the video people, if you're using Avid or Premiere, let's be frank, you're used to shitty UI. Like, you don't really care about your software being intuitive or fun to use or anything like that or stable. Um, You know, and the same was true with Final Cut. Like, if you were a video editor in general, you're used to shitty software. Um, and so then great, you know, go use windows. Um, you know, there's just, people don't put as much care into making applications for windows. I think, um, you know, there's, it's a lot of the problems that you see with the, you know, both iOS and Android development where there's always someone making it for free. And so there's just less money tossing around, you know, outside of enterprise or, you know, pro apps or whatever. And I don't know, they just, I have no desire. Yeah. I don't know why. But it, 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 to me, it's interesting in that, um, you know, the, the sort of, 
the pain points around the, the end of old Final Cut that have pushed people with good reason to some of the other platforms. You know, obviously then makes the switch easier. If you've already done the migration from Final Cut to Premiere, there's less holding you on the Mac. Um, right. It's also interesting that it, you know, we're seeing more and more of these traditionally Windows only apps, like, you know, more of the things from AutoCAD and a variety of other sort of companies that you just never expected to come back to the Mac or to come to the Mac at all are coming to the Mac, and, and, you know, so implying that there's still a strong pressure to move the other direction. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the reality of, of that, that is, you know, how easy it is to make that switch. Of course, never know what percentage of the people who claim they're abandoning Apple because Apple already abandoned me um, actually end up doing it. Um, but I mean, because, you know, the, 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 the truth is that there's very little that's wrong with the current Mac Pro if what you need is a Mac Pro. Um, it's just that people get upset that it's, you know, no one wants to spend money on a product that's not the, the newest thing, I guess. Right. Right. But I mean, you have to assume most of the people who make that claim, unless they're like in the market to buy today, like there's no reason to just, just don't buy anything. Right. Like, or buy an iMac. Just, I mean, like, you know, that's the, the real truth is that m- most of the people who still, e- even now, most of the people who buy Mac Pros probably don't need them. Um, you know, obviously there's a subset that does, but a lot of people who buy Mac Pros buy them because they perceive that they need them. Um, Just open up system preferences or open up about this Mac. And if you're on a Mac Pro right now and you don't have 32 gig of RAM, you don't need a Mac Pro. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because, yeah, I mean, unless it's maxed out, it's just an iMac right. with more fans. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. And so, yeah, there are people who need 32 gig of RAM. And then, yes, they need a Mac Pro. But, yeah, I mean, the iMacs, they're great machines. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're fantastic machines. Um, you know, even a Mac Mini, if you really need a desktop, has a lot going for it. And then, you know, there's the laptop line for most people. A, you know, nicely equipped MacBook Pro is also all the machine you'd ever need. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the, the sad truth is that if you go out and buy a Mac Pro that you dump, you know, 12 cores in and, and all this stuff, and you're still booting off a spinning disk, for most things that you do all day long, you will be having a worse experience than someone on an 11-inch Air because yeah. of an SSD. It's true. So, yeah. If you're buying a Mac Pro without an SSD, then you also probably don't need a Mac Pro. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad we validated my purchase. That's all that matters. Yes. Because my Mac Pro has both SSD and 32 gig of RAM. Only 32? <laughs> and, and four PCI cards. Yeah. <laughs> that helps too. Uh, like a club of PCI cards. So what else is new? Anything? Uh, uh, what, else did, what else came out of... WWC, a lot of it's under NDA. Yeah, Mountain Lion's coming soon. You can't really talk about too much that's going on there. iOS 6 also. I don't know. Yeah. It'll all be out soon enough. Um, Apple's got a lot going are you on. Gonna, are you going to miss being able to take mass transit? Yeah. Now that Apple doesn't 
condone it. And now that they've gotten rid of bike directions? What? No, I mean, they did. No, they got rid of subway directions. Well, right, but and pe- bus. Pe- people are upset. That's that kind they, of a big deal. People are upset that they got rid of bike directions. They never had bike directions. But there are yeah. a lot of people upset that they got rid of them. I found that funny. Yeah. No, the mass transit thing, I I think, you know, is... And this, maybe we can tie together a few things here, because the mass transit thing is a case of people overreacting without understanding, which I guess is why most of the time you overreact, maybe. I don't. I guess that would... The overreact part of... Why? I don't know. I'm trying to think wrong? through the logic there. Um, because in reality, the the way that they've designed maps i think is going to lead to a much better experience for transit users and for bike users and for anyone else who gets around via trans- transit that is not biking uh, driving or walking and even for those people i think because they've implemented a plug-in architecture so that the people who really know the mass transit system in the twin cities can create an app that vends instructions on how to navigate transit within the twin cities rather than apple having to manage transit for every city in the world like why would you not want that is that true what did they did they actually is that what's maybe i didn't pay enough attention to this but yeah i didn't go to any of those sessions and i don't think they said it in the they mentioned it in the the parts i i was under the impression that if you clicked on the thing that said i need to take mass transit it just dumped. It just told you to go buy someone's app. Well, but if you have an app installed that implements an API, um, it can specifically say that it knows how to provide those directions, and it integrates them within the map app. No, but it can be passed. You can tap it, and maps will pass all of the information into the app, and the app can draw a view that, you know, is appropriate or looks very similar to maps or whatever that continues providing you those directions so okay well i gotta say that is gonna be you think that's a better option i think that's gonna be a better option in the following in like the four cities that are gonna do that well like san francisco new york minneapolis probably will um portland if you live appleton wisconsin they're not making an app. There's just no way. Do and they, if they do, do it's going to be hard. Do horrendous. they have transit it's coverage be right now? Somebody's kid making it. Does Google do transit coverage of Appleton, Wisconsin, right now? Don't everywhere? I don't know. Let's find out. I'm going to launch it right now and look. Um, but it doesn't have to be the city. I mean, uh, you know, third-party companies who specialize in transit, and there are these companies, could create an app that's universal. I mean, there'll, there'll be a lot of options, but I think it's just. You know, Apple's building this entire mapping platform and realizing that it's better to do something not at all than to do it poorly in this kind of case. And they decided that they they didn't have a chance of, of doing it well. Yeah, no, they didn't have a chance of doing it well. I will give you that. So It would have been if they could have just given enough money to Google to keep that part. Well, or, or you uh, know... I, I guess I would have liked that them to, um, you know, if they could have made their API a little more seamless so that, you know, people could vend instructions right into the Maps app, that would be cool. But I can see reasons not to do that as well. Okay, so I'm going to go to downtown Appleton, 
I'm going to go to the Harmony Cafe. Shout outs to the Harmony Cafe. All right, that's that. All right, yes, they do give you bus instructions. Yeah. Wow. I have a feeling that what's what's Appleton's bus thing called? It's been a very long time. Valley Transit or something. Yeah, I have a feeling they're not going to make a great iPhone app. Yeah, but again, you know. Someone, I mean, I guess maybe Google will. Someone will. Yeah. Oh well. And we'll have Google Maps. Right. That'll be an app for sale soon. Do you think Google will charge for Google Maps? They should. I kind of doubt it. They don't really charge for anything. They know, but they should. Make it up on volume. I guess they can put a... They can start putting ads in it, finally. Meh. I don't, I don't see that as part of their business model, either. No. Google doesn't do ads? <laughs> Not so much. Um, so... What about, well, okay, so I just, are other other things related to Mountain Lion or iOS 6 that we can say? Hmm. I don't know. Nothing comes to mind. So in that case, then, I want to draw a connection between the reaction to this, um, you know, Apple changing the Maps app, and a story from probably two months ago, almost two months ago, six weeks ago, um, about this notion of, Microsoft not shipping a free DVD player in the upcoming version of Windows. Um, and another case where, you know, fanboys, and, you know, Mac fanboys and other just sort of anti-Microsoft people got into a tizzy about this idea that Microsoft wasn't going to be providing a, a DVD player as part of Windows 8 or something. I don't know. But um, it, was a, it was a good chance if people were willing to take the time to learn about it um, and ZDNet provided a nice article on this, it was a good chance to understand how DVD licensing works and why some companies you know, are able to provide free DVD players and, and why some aren't and why you know, VLC can ship one, but Microsoft can't. Um, and so if you, if you missed out on this, I guess I would just say, go back, um, we'll link an article, take a look as I feverishly delete files to keep enough free space on my boot drive to keep recording this. Eee. There we go. I'm up to two gigs free now, so we're good. Um, yeah. It was interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people don't know. Right. People just assume it's either Microsoft was incompetent or they're something. And you know, the reality is, it costs a substantial amount of money to license. You know, in the type. When, when you're considering that you have to pay that license for every copy you sell, and Microsoft actually sells a fair number of copies of Windows, you know, Apple ships one, but they're, they are paying for every copy of OS X they ship. They're paying to provide you that feature, and Microsoft's chosen to, you know, focus on other things, and I don't blame them for one minute, because I bet, you know, the vast majority of copies of Windows they ship are never used to play a DVD. Right. And especially since, like, a lot of machines now are going to start not having, you know, spinning disc like optical disc players in them. And if you're, you know, if you're Microsoft, you're not shipping a soup to nuts product. You're licensing your software to someone else. There's nothing stopping Dell from putting a DVD player 
app on the thing. I mean, they throw other crap on the machine after they install Windows. Absolutely. So they're just kicking the can further down the, you know, it's the integrator's choice now whether or not. Yeah. I haven't actually looked, and we couldn't say one way or the other anyways, but I don't know whether Mountain Lion still includes a DVD player. Um, and I don't know whether, I, yeah, I mean, I guess it probably does, because you can even if you buy an Air, you can still go out and buy a... Uh, yeah, Apple's going to license all those codecs anyways yeah, for QuickTime. Yeah. So... There's no reason, there's no compelling reason why they wouldn't put one on there. I don't think it changes their licensing structure much. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how Apple is that dignitary goes. to all of those patent pools, whereas Microsoft, in most cases, is not. Right. So they get a, Apple gets a refund on some portion of their licensing. Uh, yeah. Purian, Perian's dead. Open source uh, codecs and VLC. Thanks to Chris and to all the other people on on the Perian project for many years of uh, providing what they provided. But they decided, you know, reading the writing on the wall in terms of QuickTime plugins and I think more generally just video codecs in general. Um, you know, it was time to say goodbye to the project and rather than let it sort of fade into less and less functionality um, they're officially discontinuing it right so explain Perian so Perian is um, the Swiss army knife for QuickTime what they did is um, especially maybe five or so years ago when before H.264 had become the massively dominant codec that it is today um, there was a fair amount of video floating around the internet, especially when, when and let's be honest, when you talk about pirated content in formats that uh, you couldn't play inside of QuickTime. Um, so things like DivX, XVID, um, also older codecs, um, you know, some of the really obscure stuff, um, and also some wrappers. So beyond just MOV files, um, if you had an MKV file or some of these other wrappers, you couldn't open them in QuickTime. And so what the Parian product project did is they took um, libav codec and libav format, all the bits of FFmpeg that we've talked about before, and wrapped them up in a standard QuickTime component. Um, and so it really does become this Swiss Army knife. It, it sort of can open lots of different formats. It can decode and decompress lots of different formats. It never got into encoding, just decoding. But um, became a sort of universal translator that lets QuickTime open um, formats in most most of the formats that you find out on the internet. Right. And with Apple making their switch away from QuickTime, they are not really exposing, they have not exposed the functionality to do that similar sort of plug-in architecture. And so Purian was going to be work in fewer and fewer apps going forward, um, leaving, you know, like it wouldn't work in QuickTime X, it only worked in QuickTime 7, which doesn't even ship on machines anymore, and likewise it won't work in Final Cut Pro X, but would in Final Cut Pro 7, and everyone was pretty much moving away from QuickTime, the legacy QuickTime, and so, you know, there was, there were fewer and fewer apps that would take advantage of the thing. There were fewer and fewer videos floating around the internet that weren't in, you know, H.264. And Apple and was... So, yeah, yeah, it seemed it seemed like it 
was the right time to say goodbye. Right. And it's, you know, obviously still available. You're still free to download it. Um, it's just not going to continue to be maintained. And I, I, you know, I really have nothing critical to say about that decision. I think it makes complete sense. Right. And there's very little to maintain at this point. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of innovation happening on the codex side, and there's not going to be updates to QuickTime ever again. Right. So, um, you know, thanks for all the hard work, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else we wanted to go over this week? Um, or just about and an hour? Uh, I wanted to hit briefly, let's hit briefly on this Toy Story story, because this really, like, it's like a good two weeks that this story kept getting posted and reposted in a variety of fashions and you right. sort of had a skeptical take on this right okay so there was a story floating around uh the people at pixar make these little videos where they talk about something and someone animates them and so they did one about how toy story 2 was deleted um by accident twice um and so, yeah, they, they did a lot of simplification in order to make it a compelling story is kind of what I figure because they, uh, you know, they're ba the way the story goes in this video, basically someone accidentally typed RM and deleted all the files on the server and, uh, and like over the course of the next day or two, like as they were playing the movie, parts of the movie disappeared, like like a shoe or you know a hat off a character, and uh, that doesn't seem possible, <laughs> right? For lack of a better. So you think that the the deletion probably did happen, but maybe the way they discovered it was a little less uh... cinematic. Yeah. <laughs> visual yeah. storytelling wise but it is you know it is a good story because it's i mean it's a good story for two reasons one you know the reason this became a near disaster was because um when they went to restore from their backups and of course they had backups they found out that um their backup system had been failing silently and this happens daily you know in big companies and small companies people think they've been doing backups they've been doing all the right things they have you know lto5 tapes and dedicated backup servers and everything and then the day comes when they need to restore data and they can't get the data back um you know i've had we had that happen on the divergent media site yeah yep um and I had that happen with when we lost a 20 terabyte XN volume. Um, you know, we found that of the, you know, most of the data was backed up properly, um, but there were some physical errors on one of the LTO tapes and the cloning that we thought was going on was not going on exactly the way it was. And so there were a couple files that couldn't be recovered. You know, that there are lots of ways for backups to go wrong. And 
this story was both a good reminder that you should be testing your backups routinely and making sure that you actually are backing up what you think you're backing up, but also as a good reminder that even a company that you think can do no wrong from a technical perspective like Pixar does make these kinds of mistakes. And so from a computer sort of IT perspective, it's a, you know, a nice little reminder that no one's perfect. Yeah, and that putting all your files on Dropbox is not the same as packing them up. Basically, trusting your files to anyone else to back up is probably a bad idea. Right. And because that, yeah. even they can be doing this too. Right, exactly. Um, that just having one backup is not store it, Store it with two people, and hopefully they won't make a mistake on the same day. Right, right. Um, unless, you know, your data doesn't matter that much, which, you know, may be the reality. Also, um, probably don't store it in a data center in Virginia at the moment. Hey, it's secure there right now. <laughs> no one's deleting any files. That's Do their sure. doors open when the power goes out or close? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's like Jurassic Park. They uh, they all open and the uh, velociraptors are released. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there also, there was, likewise, there was a movie deleted. Where was that? We had that, right? Uh, oh, it was um, the, pre the premiere of Avengers, I think. Um, oh, the Avengers at the press screening. Yeah. They accidentally deleted the digital files for the digital projector. And had to read um, Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think I think the the real lesson here is make it harder to delete things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But nonetheless... in one place yeah and uh don't back up just to two drives in your own house either <laughs> i know people do that yeah i totally back up in two places i have a time machine and i you know super duper to a firewire drive right yeah as long as the fire only burns one of those you're safe yeah uh, not usually the case so chatter i recommend black backblaze yeah me too they're very good yeah so all of Divergent Media's stuff is backed up by Backblaze. No, it's not. Some of it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, now what? Uh, now we do Chatter. Okay, do it up. Uh, you want to go first or should I go yeah, first? let me scroll down. Who goes first? Um, I don't like my Chatter. I'm going to switch out for this other one. My chatter is about the Amsterdam Repair Cafes. This was a New York Times article a few weeks back, um, May 9th, it looks like, judging by the URL, um, about a group in Amsterdam that gets together to fix stuff that is fixable rather than replaceable. Um, and so this is everything from clothing, zippers, boots, you know, on up through toys, uh, home gadgets, electronics, uh, hardware, you know, power tools, um, everything, you know, that, that fails and that we nowadays tend to just toss and replace, they've gotten together to work on fixing things. And I thought this was interesting. Well, one, it's just interesting, but also right after this article came out, I found out that there's actually a company here in the Twin Cities uh, called Fixity that is doing the same thing. And their mentality is very similar. And they've tried to figure out a way to make repairing these items cost effective, which I think is an interesting issue because 
you know, if you're paying someone who knows how to solder and, you know, do electronics repair a semi-reasonable market rate, it doesn't take much of their time to make repair no longer cost-effective. Right. Um, on, why they're not TV repair boys was on the brain. Right. And so, you know, when you think about repairing a $20 toy, even if it's just a single wire that needs to be resoldered, um, especially, you know, with a toy nowadays when you have to, you know, basically you know, disarm a bomb to get inside with all the little screws and torques bits and all that jazz. You know, it, it it's an interesting issue. And I think it's an in- issue that as good uh, liberals, we have to weigh in that, you know, we obviously want to be, you know, no one likes spending more money than they need to spend. Uh, but we also don't like putting things into the waste stream when they don't need to go into the waste stream. Um, and so it's a it's a choice we have to make, uh, but I think it is at least a good step that that choice becomes, you know, more more possible when there are services like this you can go to that can either repair your device for you, like the service here, or help you repair it yourselves, like the service in Amsterdam. Um, it's cool. Yeah. Angry. But it's also, I mean, I definitely, you know, my instinct is to do repair. And I often have to fight that and say that there's that this doesn't make rational sense, it doesn't make economic sense for me to spend the amount of time it's going to spend to do this or to spend the money that it's going to take to acquire the, the replacement parts, which is also often another issue um, that, you know, getting specialized parts or even if it's just ordering, you know, nuts and bolts or things from, you know, McMaster Car or something, you know, very quickly can exceed the value of the object and, you know, Sometimes, I don't know. It's a tough decision. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think that uh, I think the way we have to go is to have fewer things that we have more of a attachment to. Right. Right. Like I have a, I've fixed my coffee maker a number of times, and I don't particularly know why, but it's you know it has something to do with the fact that I really like the coffee maker. Um, you know, and if. I could buy, you know, it's like a coffee maker from the 80s that just happened to come out before it was too cheap to put a freaking clock in a coffee maker to not put a clock in a coffee maker. And so it has one button and it just makes coffee. And it's delightfully simple, especially when you haven't had coffee yet for the day. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but if that coffee maker was available at Bed Bath & Beyond, there is no reason why I would still have this one. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, you know, the idea of making things a little more unique, like I think maybe when we get into this, you know, future of 3D printing everything, where things have, a, you know, where you have a little bit more attachment to the, you know, you can't just go out and buy the same one again. Um, you know, you got it from Etsy or you got it from a Kickstarter project or you have some attachment to it, like... I don't know, because you know, on a purely economic basis, there's no reason to repair anything anymore. Right. And you know, the sense of self-satisfaction that comes with doing a repair is is nice and all, but when it's eaten up your entire day, you know, and of course, often we make things worse when we try to fix them, and all these other corollary issues. Um, yeah. Or yeah, we could just all have less stuff. 
Yeah. That's okay. Too. Um. So, speaking about Amsterdam, are we going to IBC? Do I, I have launch? You leave tomorrow. Yeah. Two weeks. Do I have carte blanche to book you on a week or two? Yeah. Um. I mean, let's we we can we can take this offline a little bit, but I I, I yeah let's. Go on. It's said in front of everyone right now. No, no, I mean, you absolutely can. I'll, my only reason to take it offline is um, whether there's anything else it makes sense either to do together whether while we're over there or whether, you know, I might extend my stay and, and you know, take a couple days somewhere there. I don't know. It's a long ways to go to only hang out at a convention center. So nice, though. If we have any European listeners, if we have any listeners... If we have any European listeners who um, would be in the vicinity of IBC come September or 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, or whatever it is, it's right in there, um, and would either you know want to hang out at IBC or think there are things that we should do or meetings we should take in that part of the, the continent, um, let us know. And yeah. um, also, if you guys could get your act together on fixing your currency, we would appreciate it. Not in a way that increases the value of it no no actually if you could depreciate it for the next two weeks that would be great but please don't collapse because uh <laughs> that would be problematic um so my chatter this week is um from even earlier in the times um it was about a 92 year old bootlegger of DVDs um, who is probably bootlegged more DVDs than anyone else on the face of the earth and the only reason why he is not in jail yet um, at least at the time of the, this article being written was that he only does he makes he burns copies of DVDs and then mails them off to service men and women stationed abroad. Um, and so it was just an interesting story about a very old guy um, breaking lots and lots of um, copyright laws. Yeah, that's an interesting case because, uh, you know... <laughs> the he movie... doesn't make any money. He loses money on the whole endeavor. Sure. Um, and... He is a sympathetic character, to right. say the least. So, right. um, yeah. It's interesting, though, because that hasn't stopped the movie studios in the past. Um, yeah. But I suppose, you know, they've, I don't know. That's very interesting, though. But yeah, it was, it seemed to be a somewhat taunting article. Yeah. 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 You, you know, you always wonder about those articles like, uh, there, there was a good one. Uh, did you catch the story out of Kansas today? Um, a guy who set up a website where he scrapes all of the DUI convictions and then uh, posts them on the website and then sends a letter to the person saying, we'd be happy to take this down for, for $200. Um, and if you don't pay us the $200, we might uh, accidentally send a letter to all of your neighbors about your DUI arrest. Oh, boy. And, uh, yeah. Huh. I, don't. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's legal. Yeah. But I gather uh, after the article went up, his website went down, so I don't know. Huh. So, I don't know. 
interesting. Um, so yeah, you should go pack for your trip. I should do that. Um, do I need a passport to get into Europe? No, I don't think so. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, well, I will see you all uh, soon. If you happen to be in in Milan or Florence, and you're hearing this, shoot me an email. Call in at divergentmedia.com. We'll get coffee, or un café. I've been working on the Italian. You've always spoken Italian pretty well, haven't you? Yeah, the problem is I've been speaking Spanish uh, on the last couple trips, and I'm having a real hard time turning that part of my brain off. And so I'm speaking a lot of Spanish, intending to speak Italian right now. So we'll see how that goes. Interesting. Yeah. Well, have a good time. Yep. And uh, we'll we'll try to get back on a regular schedule once you get back. Absolutely. All right. Cheers. Later.